0: This boy and girl are going to be well-equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society.
1: Aloha, y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers in the breaking of all things normal. Aloha, y'all. Welcome back to the Breaking Normal podcast. This was probably the longest pause that we've been on as I have gone through a, a personal evolution that I don't think I'm even allowed to legally talk about, um, however, if you want to know more and get the full download, feel free to call or text me, it's the same phone number that you'll find on the Tribe, Vitam- Tribe Vitamins website, that is 404-538-3156, and speaking of Tribe Vitamins, uh, the sponsor of this podcast and the sponsor of my uh, Dharma in a way, this stuff is incredible. Um, I am amazed by the consistency of the testimonies we get about energy and libido increase immediately, first day, and then the stacking effect of taking it for over a month with hair, skin, nails, vision, teeth, acting as an original multivitamin. That's, if you're interested in the micronutrient breakdown of God's formula in the liver of a 100% grass-fed American bison, it is probably the powder that has the most amount of heme iron retinol and retinol combined together in one ingredient. It also has the variety of B vitamins, zinc, copper, choline, folate, biotin, and more. Um, I recently was hanging out with a guy yesterday that was taking iron pills and is tearing up his stomach and he's having issues with it. And my dad being over a a pharmacist for over 40 years would tend to agree with that, that he thinks The bison liver is much better for bioavailable heme iron compared to those manufactured iron pills that don't come with other key nutrients that need to be combined with, such as copper. But God's already done that with the bison liver. So if you're listening to this and uh, you have not tried the bison liver, at least try that. It's a real gateway supplement to uh, the indigenous superfoods that our ancestors used to eat as medicine before there were ever pharmacies. and that really does work. So take the suggested dose of bison liver every morning before breakfast to see the, to feel the results for yourself. And who knows? maybe you'll fall into the category of miraculous results. I recently got a testimony from a customer that canceled their blood transfusion after using the bison liver. So if you are low in iron, um, I would definitely take a look at these. I'm not sure if I can how I'm allowed to say what, but let's just say that. And uh, if you're low in a comedy, and dancing, uh, then stay tuned for this podcast with Tony Naj, hilarious, conscious comedian that incorporates dancing into her expressions in a way that I've never seen before. So she is breaking normal and beyond. Uh, some of the things we talk about are the nocebo versus the placebo. Uh, we talk about how dance being the ultimate antidepressant, as she would say. Uh, She believes dreaming is preparation for death. Uh, We talk about what she believes when someone dies. Uh, We really dove deep into the rabbit trail of the prison industrial complex, which might be the most potent part of this expression. Um, She really, gosh, Lee, pay attention to that part, and uh, pay attention to the part where she goes into getting out of the way and uh, how she's maybe overcame some addiction struggles once she found out her best friend died in an accident and how using the study of dance has been a big part of that uh, transition and that transcendence of the trauma of that situation. And we even go into the V word some. So uh, I'm not sure if this is not get shadow banned or what, but I trust whoever will get to listen to it, it will bring more value to your lives and all the lives of the people that you love and care for, and hence the whole world, that ripple effect of uh, getting beyond the monkey mind chatter of the ego and getting more into our uh, truer selves. So I trust you'll love this as much as I did. Check her out. She's awesome. She has an awesome website. Her videos are hilarious and light, enlightening and edutaining and illuminating and lighthearted, but also dancing around some deep topics. So thank you, Tony. And uh, thank you all for all. If you all are using tri-vitamins, it's, I really enjoy receiving the uh, testimonies and the affirmations of this dharmic path that I've found myself on. And um, yeah, we've actually been prototyping some pet products. If you follow our Instagram at tribe vitamins, you might have seen some of our, because it's not on the website, but we have some pet prototype powder. Um, Because one of the most common questions I get when people meet my pit bulls is how are their coats so shiny? Well, I'll tell you how they're probably the only beings that eat more tribe vitamins than me. (laughs) I think that has a major part of it. And um, we've also finally started prototyping a skin superfood, so literally a salve or a body butter that to me is the original skincare product. It can be used as, uh, for your hair, it can be used for your skin, it can be used as lubricant. Um, so have fun with it. And it's not on the website either, but if you want to be one of the first people to try out the prototype, just DM us on Instagram at Vitamins or send me a text on my phone that I, that I shared earlier. And thank you all for Breaking Normal. We have a bunch of now episodes finally lined up in the queue. And I'm really, in a way, so excited to kick off this new season of the Breaking Normal podcast with the hilariously awesome super mom, Tony Naj. Enjoy. Keep Breaking Normal, y'all. Oh, and what I'll do at the very end of this, I will include, because I was recently interviewed from someone else for their podcast, which should be coming out in a couple months, Um. They were telling me how inspiring the Naked Exercise chapter of the Breaking Normal book is that we've included at one of the end of our episodes he listened to. So I'll do that again. I'll include that chapter. And if that inspires you to download the Breaking Normal book on audio that JP Sears and I and some others read for you, do it. Just do it. Do it now. Now. Do it. All right. Keep doing, keep doing what your heart calls you to now. Listen to that subtle butterfly that flutters that heartbeat to a higher intensity and see if you can follow the synchronicities from there. I think it's a good treasure, good treasure map for life. All right. Much love y'all. Well, I'm, I'm down to like kind of jump right in. Well, I think that might make it more fun anyways, because of the breaking normalness enough of us not really knowing each other. I don't think we know each other, do we?
0: Uh, in a heart space, you know, of course we know each other, but not in practical terms.
1: And just making sure we've never met in person. Do you think we've met in person?
0: A hundred percent, no.
1: Uh, oh, that's that's courageous to claim a hundred percent.
0: I so just feel where, that.
1: Where are you at currently in the world?
0: I, I live in New Hampshire. I've been there. Okay. Well, then we met in New Hampshire, obviously. Duh. I mean, I've been to Colorado. We met there.
1: Of course.
0: We met, all the, we met on the astral plane as well.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks for being on Breaking Normal podcast. And I pray for the best. And um, this is a unique... You know, usually the uh, schedule is synchronicity. And synchronously enough, I went to a dance recital this evening... A ballet, jazz, tap, and like it was called Dance Around the World. And uh, that was the first time I've been to one of those probably in years. And when I think of you, the little I know about you, like I was trying to describe to my friend who I was about to interview, I'm like, she's like, because I don't know if you know J.P. Sears, but uh, he's an old friend of mine. We go way back and he actually did his first comedy show at an event I was hosting in Kauai. And now he's a very well-known comedian. And I was like, "Yeah, she's kind of like J.P. Sears in a way, but she she does her comedy through dance. She like interprets what she's talking about while dancing to it. And she really cuts through political bullshit and tells the truth. Um, And I try to show a quick clip. But it deserves more than a quick clip. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And I, and I think I, I've, I've probably said, yeah, she just seems like a genius to me. Let's see if we can. And so synchronously enough, I got to see people dance tonight, uh, little girls to older women. And uh, I've seen you and your, your daughter dance together. Isn't that right? That's a cool video.
0: Yeah, we did a Mother's Day video where I made her reenact her birth with me.
1: That is, that's radical. You are Y'all are radical. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I recommend y'all checking. By the way, I don't know if I've even n- introduced you properly. Tony Nagy, am I saying that correctly?
0: My last name is pronounced Naj, like massage.
1: Just Naj? Just Naj.
0: Yeah. It's a Hungarian name. So that's that, how we've pronounced it um, throughout the American tundra. I am in Naj.
1: Tony Naj. Yes. In New Hampshire.
0: I live in New Hampshire currently. Yeah. I've lived many places, but right now I live in New Hampshire.
1: And the best place for people to find you if they want to see, for instance, the video of you uh, birthing your daughter, but not... Oh,
0: I'm on Instagram at at Naj N-A-G-Y. So at T-O-N-I-N-A-G-Y. Same thing, TikTok. Um, I think Instagram and TikTok are where I shine and then i'm also on facebook but who who's on facebook these days that,
1: that's a good question but uh, my uh, my next question is because you said you're that you shine maybe on tiktok and instagram is this like a new booming thing for you because i mean i but you're relatively new to me and i'm like this person is going to become very well known if she isn't already but it does seem like you're getting a lot of traction on instagram is this a, a is it, how long have you been doing comedy this way and how in the heavens did you get to this point
0: Oh, I have been going at it for years and years and years. I have been <laughs> putting myself out there for a very long time. But for whatever reason, something kind of shifted in the past year for me. And maybe it was the collective consciousness's willingness to absorb the information that I wanted to penetrate their psyches with. But I have been here for a while. I just... Um, I would say that from a social media perspective, things have grown more exponentially in the past year, especially since the pandemic, because I think, A, a lot of people were uh, turning to social media as a means of educating themselves beyond just the mainstream platforms that they began to feel distrust towards. So I think that, you know, that was to an interesting kind of dance I was able to collaborate with, with people who were seeking information, but didn't necessarily um, want to it. So that is why I think like what I'm doing is somewhat appealing. I also think that um, it's really difficult to digest a lot of this information. It can feel like really heavy on the heart and on the mind and on the psyche. And so if you're just going to read something, uh, you know, you're like, ah, do I really want to read about this? Maybe not. Maybe I could just, you know, um, do something else. But I try to provide the information in a way that is taking what is really ugly and trying to make it digestible in some sense.
1: That's um I I can relate to that because you know I was, as I as I take sips out of this bison mug that was just recently gifted to me for my birthday bison liver I do believe is one of the greatest things someone can consume but it is not easy to eat for most people with a normal palate so we put, mm. we put it in a capsule for them and I do think that sometimes the best capsule for the hardest pill to swallow which people might call truth or closer to truth is comedy a lot of the time
0: yeah yeah. I mean, we're not alone in thinking that. I think Jon Stewart and like a lot of people built their career on the fact that like if I can make it palatable, then people... Because I think people really are interested in learning. And I think people really are interested in exploring not only the greater world around them, but their place in it. I do think that there is this kind of collective desire that we all share that is wanting to have meaning in your life and wanting to be somewhat educated about what's going on around you and just having these kind of intellectual, philosophical conversations. But at the same time, it's like, how are those conversations created and tended to? Because I think a lot of times what happens is that language becomes this like hyper barrier between people and their learning process because the academic elite institutions often will use really complex language in order to actually shut people out of the conversation. And so comedy is in a way very philosophical. It's very platonic in the sense that it's looking to take complex ideas and make them simple enough for everybody to participate in the conversation.
1: Uh, What a ridiculously good communicator you are.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that.
1: What do you like? I mean, what, is that from comedy? just Or do you do, uh, do you like write copy or do you write books or do you write poetry or do you just? Because <laughs> I've talked, I, I, in my opinion, I've, I've been blessed to be in the space of what a lot of people consider our top notch communicators. And I'm like, wow, this girl is on fire with words. Holy moly.
0: Oh, I'm so honored by that feedback. Thank you. I really will let my, um, Soul absorb that because it's very kind. I think. Um. I. I think honestly, I. I am a writer and I do write a lot and I read a lot and I talk to people, you know, a fair amount. And I think one of the things that I'm most interested in is one-on-one connection and really diving deep with people. So I am very, very, very um, complicated to have at a cocktail party, right? Like I'm gonna just start a conversation that's pretty intense, pretty quickly. And so I don't fit into a lot of social situations unless there's dancing. So if there's a social situation where everyone's dancing, I'm fine. Or if there's a social situation where I can ignite a deep, meaningful, heartfelt conversation, I'm fine. But anything other than that, I find myself to be like incredibly uncomfortable and awkward.
1: That oh, well, I'm happy you mentioned that because the, yeah, where's how does dancing fit into this? Did you grow up as a dancer and, and I I do want to say that like I've been in some pretty intense um, retreat settings where I'm like speaking to 50 to 100, 50 to 100 people to like become as vulnerable as possible, and when I am in that space, I definitely I go and my body starts. It's so like, mm. I'm like an octopus all of a sudden with all of these like movements. And I just, ha- I have to honor it. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to communicate the vulnerability that I was aiming to.
0: Mm. So I think
1: it's amazing what you're doing. And I don't know if I've seen other people accentuate so, so much with the art of dance. So I am curious about like your dance from where it began to now. and how Well, I actually...
0: I started dancing really technically late in life. I was 19 years old. Um, The type of school that I went to was a very academic school, very sports oriented. And my parents were not interested in like taking me to classes. They definitely were focusing on their own lives. And so I've always really loved dance and would dance around in my room. And I have a really deep affection and affinity for music and so dance was a part of my essence, but I never had any training until I went to college. And the first year, I have to say, it was really difficult. I'm a very, I'm embarrassingly a very competitive person. Like, do not play sports with me. Do not play ping pong with me. Like, I, I'm going to go for blood, you know? Like, I don't fuck around when it comes to competition. So when I was first learning to dance and all these girls were so much better than me and they'd all been training and I got like just so spun up in my ego about how much I was struggling that I was like, fuck this. And I was living in New York and I took literally as many dance classes as I humanly could as my body would allow. I also have a lot of manic energy, physical energy, so I am able to move my body a lot and... I just really dove into the study of dance. And then about a year into my practice, um, actually my best friend died in a pretty like tragic, unexpected accident. And I was so uh, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally devastated by that. And the only thing that gave me any like reprieve was dance. It was the only time I could kind of leave my head and just be in a moment with my body. And so dance became this really crucial antidepressant for me during one of the most like complicated and dark moments of my life. So that's kind of how it started. And dance has served as that emotional outlet for me ever since. And I actually, now I own a dance studio and I teach dance. So it's been a part of my life for a long time. Um, but I do see it as a therapy.
1: That's awesome. I mean, dance is an ultimate antidepressant. Come on, what's the name of your studio? Where's that at? Is that in New Hampshire as well? It's
0: called it's called Sidestream Studio, and it's in Vermont, in southern Vermont. And
1: what's the name of that town?
0: Uh, Brattleboro. Brattleboro.
1: I've been. I mean, I've been to every state. Vermont really blows my mind every time I've gone there. I do know, it's like Burlington green. is, yeah, very green. Georgia, where my family lives, is very green as well. A lot of my family. And uh, but there's a lot of water, a lot of good water in Vermont. it Seems like, and Burlington is built like architecturally just like Boulder, the oh. Pearl streets. They're like the same architect design. Oh, cool! Have you been to Boulder?
0: I have been to Boulder. It's a sweet location. You're living in the you're living the dream.
1: I just, I think so. I do think so. What do you think about dreams? Do you think when you say someone's living the dream, do you think? Like, do you think dreams are as real as reality or less real? Or is it just like a carryover? What do you think about that?
0: Oh, like when we're sleepy time dreams?
1: Yeah, that type of dream.
0: Oh, that's such an interesting question. I mean, on the one hand, we could say that we're like working with like parallel universes and traversing through space and time. I also sometimes wonder if it's like a preparation for death and it's like, we spend this time dreaming because we need to allow the consciousness that opportunity to leave the body and then come back to it. And so sometimes I think that dreaming is just like a boot camp for death. So we aren't so like shocked when we die and we are able to transition to, you know, whatever happens in that way. And then sometimes I think that dreams are just like a way for us to process all the things in our lives that we are constantly distracting ourselves from in our waking lives with all of our ego chatter So I feel like there's so much opportunity for us to use other people, use our jobs, use whatever addictions we're struggling with. These are all like a a perfect recipe of which to distract ourselves from the ability to truly connect to oneness. And so maybe the dream world is a place where we can do that without the interference of the ego.
1: Wow! When you said the like the boot camp for death and the transitioning. Do you have any uh, ideas about what what happens for one or yourself at that time?
0: Well, I I mean, like, I think that having my friend die definitely has connected me to like this esoteric relationship to the beyond um, where I feel this deep connection to her still and potentially that's in my own head. I'm totally open to that possibility, but... Those for harps that we are connected. So, you know, part of me wonders if, like, if energy can't be created or destroyed, or if, like, we, our soul, our higher spirit is just like light. It's almost as if light travels, 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 and then it interacts with matter, which is the human body, and then it slows down to exist in that form of matter for some time. But then when the matter leaves you, then the light just kind of leaves the matter and keeps traveling, traveling, and traveling until it finds another piece of matter of which to connect with like the e equals MC squared vibe of quantum physics meets reincarnation. <laughs> wow.
1: That was I'm happy I asked that. Uh, do you, uh, and, and before I get distracted with any more questions from me, do you have anything you want to make sure that you talk about <laughs> or like, you know, because who knows who might listen to this?
0: Oh, I guess I have no agenda beyond what we <laughs> co-create. So I'm open. <laughs> uh,
1: there was one, I mean, like your website is hilarious. I was looking at it briefly um, last night and I, and I was just, the, the each video topic is so ridiculous. How do you, how do you choose what to do a video about?
0: You know, it's funny. I, I just kind of was realizing the other day. I mean, I think again, not to like name drop Plato twice in one podcast, but there is this reputation that people have about like the artist's experience as being a channel or you're like a transistor radio for information that comes through you. And I actually really do believe that to be true. It's almost like I sit in an open space of what does the, community need to hear right now. And sometimes that is fucking weird and absurd. Like I made a video called Sparkle Bomb all about putting glitter on someone's butt, you know? And I actually think that's some of my best work. I made a song about it. But sometimes it's like, hey, let's talk about what's going on with the prison industrial complex. Like whether this is the absurd or whether this is something that's really like specifically relevant to our like political spectrum is yet to be determined. But I think my best work is when I get out of the way and I just like allow myself to exist as a transmission for what people are interested in hearing at that moment. Yeah,
1: that, that resonates. Getting out of the way. What You mentioned the prison industrial complex.
0: Yes. Yeah, um. i big into that. <laughs>
1: I did watch that uh, show. Is like Orange is the New Black. Did you watch that? Is that? Uh, do you remember oh, that?
0: yeah. I watched a little bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that's not necessarily <laughs> diving into the complexity of the prison industrial complex, but it was an interesting narrative for sure.
1: I figured you would say something like that. But I, I wanted to talk about that because I ended up meeting the cast in Kauai. A lot of the cast in was A lot like of... Some Fun of the happens to you in Hawaii?
0: Yeah, I
1: did. Does indeed, indeed. Um, and and my college roommate is a uh, he works he he what he's been working with the LADA. I am not. Sure, yeah, he's been working with the LADA as an attorney. And, uh, God, I, that could, that could be just, that could be infinite podcast about the prison industrial complex. What I mean, what is your golden thread of the issue there?
0: Well, I mean, basically we have these private prisons and these private prisons are businesses and these businesses have a vested interest in having a workforce. And the workforce is the prisoners that are in the prisons. So when you have over 4,000 corporations have direct contracts with these private prisons, then corporations have a vested interest in the legal system, bringing people into their workforce because they can pay people 37 cents an hour to do work that, you know, they would otherwise otherwise be outsourcing to regular employees. And so our judicial system is so intimately tied with corporate interests. And then of course, there's the contracts so who's building the prisons, who's maintaining the prisons. And I mean, obviously we could go on and on, but prisons are a huge business and they're a huge part of the economic backbone of this country, just as slavery was. And I think that when that's the case, there's going to be so much interference in our judicial system, which you're seeing right now. And I mean, I just did a video about the Supreme Court passing a law that basically says that if if your lawyer was incompetent or didn't represent you correctly and new evidence comes up to prove your innocence, it doesn't matter. You still have to sit in jail. And that was a six to three vote from this conservative Supreme Court. So now people are even more um, easily incarcerated, not only from the news laws coming up to put people in jail, but then you have a less of a chance of, Getting out of jail, and also a lot of people can't afford, you know, fancy counsel, and they're working with like very overworked um, public defenders. And so, I mean, I just think that the relationship between business and our judicial system is highly flawed and immoral. So that's like the two, two, two and a half, three-minute uh, pitch about the prison industrial complex.
1: Yep, I'm happy. I asked once again. I'm like, did you have like, do you have a personal experience? I don't. I, okay. I, like, it I, seems I, like you might, cause you have the, you like, it seems like you understand it very well and you are uh, passionate about it.
0: I am passionate about many issues for sure, but not all of them do I have direct experience with. Um, but I, I do think, I mean, the thing that's so interesting about prisons and quote unquote, like prisoners, h- how many illegal things have I done in my life? countless, countless illegal things. I just never got caught. And I have, you know, it's like, I think there is this moral self-righteousness about somebody who's in prison as if they're less than, and it's like, no, we've all done many illegal things. I'm probably doing something illegal, you know, tomorrow if I, if I can help it, I hope I do, you know? So I think the reality is, is that as, you know, so many laws are being passed underneath our noses all the time. And at some, you know, some places it's illegal to, um, collect rainwater. And like, what if it becomes illegal to grow your own food? Or what if it becomes illegal to not have like an Elon Musk microchip implanted in your brain? Like we have no idea where laws are going and we have to protect like the sanctity of how people are treated when they quote unquote break the law. Because I don't even believe in the Rockefeller drug laws. I don't know about you, but I think that that's a fucking crime against humanity that, you know, you have people in jail for weed. You have people in jail for weed right now. Or less like like an eighth of weed and the guy who shot Ronald Reagan is walking free you can shoot a president and you can be free sooner than you could be a black person convicted for uh, smoking a fucking joint I mean this is yeah like what a is I, I
1: saw I saw this I'm like I don't I didn't know that <laughs> I didn't know like that was like a, a meme in a way because I'm like so the, the guy that shot Ronald Reagan is out he's out of prison.
0: Yeah, and then the, and then that man. was
1: that was side by side with the guy that had he had less than an eighth of weed on weed.
0: House. And he's, he's still, still in prison. And
1: so how do you know how long both of these people were in prison for? Not, not I think
0: it was over 20 years. Both of them. Yeah.
1: And then one's out.
0: One's out. One's white.
1: The one that <laughs> shot. Ronald, Ronald Reagan. With a bullet. Did he hit him? Did he hit him with that bullet?
0: Yes. Don't you remember when Ronald Reagan got shot?
1: I I, sometimes, you know, I I had this idea, like, because when the news comes out, I truly realize it's not real. So I'm like, how can I trust history?
0: Mm. Uh, It's good.
1: So I've given up. I'm I'm, that's my own issue. That's my
0: no. I understand that not trusting history, and nor (laughs) should you. Nor fucking should you. I mean, who correct? Like, who the fuck knows? Maybe he was a psyop. Maybe he was a plant. Like, we don't know it all. So I'm a okay you're not trusting history and i agree but the narrative says ronald reagan but
1: the narrative it. says this guy shot ronald reagan with a bullet mm-hmm. and hit it and hit mm-hmm. the president
0: and, and hit it. him yeah
1: and he is out of um,
0: out of prison
1: and then there's this guy who's that guy God Lee. what the is that oh, like I know, that's but there's why so, i can't i know i know there's probably so many but like who is that there's person? so many is that a there's specific so do you know anything about that specific person because I no, almost I mean, like I almost I, want to like a phone call. I'm like, is this real? Because
0: what's f- up? Let's get you out. What does
1: he need, like a 200 dollars for an attorney or something? What's the, like for like a retainer or like a thousand dollars? Like, what's going on with this? What what's happening?
0: I mean, that's a great question. It's like if every person there's if every person cared about one incarcerated person, I mean, we would probably, you know, have a much more just system. And I I enjoy that you're like, let's connect with this guy and see what's happening with him. Is he okay? No, he's
1: not. Yeah, that's a, cra- I mean, we live in a crazy time. That's why I really appreciate you pointing it out in so many great ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that, that, said that we chose to live now. You know, everyone that's a soul on the planet right now is we chose this timeline in order to be here. And... I do think that is interesting, and that's something that I think gives me a little bit of, like, pep in my step when I feel like flushing my fucking head down the toilet and being like, what the fuck is happening? I'm like, well, Tony, you choose to be here, so, <laughs> you know, like, obviously, you're strong enough to handle it. <laughs> Who knows if that's true, but I tell myself that.
1: Um I recently interviewed this guy, Tyler Fisher or Ty the fish. Are you familiar with him? Ty the fish like he's like a comedian oh, fuck, from I New York know. from New York and he Is makes he... fun he makes fun of the mandates and the vaccines a lot and he's like imp- a lot of really good impersonations.
0: Oh well, I'll have to find him. Oh, okay I, don't I didn't wanna.
1: know if it, I didn't know if you knew him or not, but like he um it seems like his career in comedy took off. Because he, uh, all these places that he was going to do shows at were requiring vaccines, so he didn't do them. Uh huh. And they started doing like, and he started making fun of this whole thing online.
0: Mm, you have anything mm. to say about
1: that? I mean, I'm just wondering. <laughs> it's like such a taboo question these days about like even opinions on vaccines, but I've had people, there are like places that still in Boulder. I don't know if they're doing it anymore. It seems like it disappeared, but for like a few months they were going to make people show their record of uh, injecting themselves with viruses in order to go see a musician or a comedian perform.
0: Yeah. I mean, the mandates were real. I think that vaccine mandates are inherently racist. Um, There's a lot of people that are in the black community that I think feel very, very uncomfortable having government created vaccines like pumped into their bodies because this has been used as a tool for, you know, hundreds of years against um, black and brown people also in Africa and also in India. So I think that there is like, you know, and these are things that you could research and look into. There has been many, many, many different instances where people have been sterilized or um, uh, quote unquote accidentally given diseases. And so I think that there is a, a an embedded racism in asking a population to just immediately trust the government with their help. And obviously I think like for some, it was a really, really important, um, activity for them to participate in because they were very, uh, afraid. And if you're afraid of a disease and then a vaccine gives you a sense of peace, that's very healing and that's really important and meaningful. So I think it's hard to have like a strong opinion that is like blanketed as bad or good. But I do think that we can't look at it without looking at the racial implications. And I think we also have to realize that there's something called a nocebo as well as a placebo. So just like a placebo, you can take something that's sugar and, and it will make you feel better, you know? So there's, plenty, plenty of studies of how effective placebos are. But nocebos are the same aspect where you take something that actually is sugar, but you think it's harmful for you and it can exhibit harm on your body. Like You could take something and I could tell you it's poison and your body will exhibit being poisoned. So I think that forcing people that have like a very strong feeling that they don't trust this could create adverse reactions just through their fear. And so I think that Fear was a big part of the pandemic and how your um, emotional state impacts your body is not to be ignored, you know? So if you fear the virus and vaccines give you peace, that's very important. But if you fear the vaccine, that's also important. So I don't know. I think it's a complicated conversation and I wish that people were a little bit more... Um, interested in the nuance of it, especially I think the racial implications. This, if you're a white American, it's important to acknowledge that.
1: I mean that, that I, for as a, as a meme, like I don't know if you've ever done a video called "Vaccines Are Racist," <laughs> but uh, that's oh. a, that's like I'm just like that's a kind of bold statement. Why? What? It, why? Exa- can you just expound upon why you think that?
0: Well, there's just been like many instances where people were sterilized without their knowledge. And there's been like m- all over the world, there has been mistreatment of black and brown people with vaccines. And again, this isn't even a debatable thing like this has just happened. Are you and familiar so, with it
1: like that Tuskegee, Tuskegee, like syphilis? Exactly can you, do you, can mm-hmm. you tell me about that in your words? Because I like hearing
0: you talk about things. I mean, I can't, I'm not, A, I'm just not like a global expert on health, but I just like am aware of people's, um, of like what's been going on a little bit. And so it's basically just using people as experiments, you know, and and there has been a lot of experimentation on different black and brown bodies throughout the globe. And, um, especially like... (sighs) I mean, there's been instances in South Africa, there's been instances in India, there's been instances in the United States. And so I just think that we as a population, we can't erase that, you know? And so if like certain people are having a trouble trusting, and there's plenty of white people as well who had trouble trusting the vaccine. And I think that that is not going to be solved by calling them stupid, you know, like that, I just think that that was a lot of the uh, rhetoric and a lot of people I noticed would say like, oh, they're A, they're stupid or B, they're just misinformed or they're in like a QAnon, QAnon pipeline or what have you. And I I think that there are many different people that have made these choices and we can't speak for all of them. I can't speak for all of them. I don't know, you know. All I know is that we have to have more nuanced conversations rather than just saying that people are dumb.
1: I definitely agree with that last part. I mean, for me, when I think about what you're saying with the experiments on brown or black people... I, I, do you know the demographics of who signed up for these recent COVID vaccines by any chance? Are they,
0: I don't know. That would be very um, interesting to look at.
1: Because whatever demographic that is, I feel, I'm, personally, I will say that I feel like they were experimented on.
0: I mean, it, uh, yeah. i got, got to say my for own, my own truth. I don't know if we're going to be getting like honest data on any of this, to be honest, there's a lot at stake. And again, I think it's really, really important that people who, um, people feel good about their health decisions, regardless of what it is. And so I also, I'm not an advocate of like making people have all this fear about the vaccine and what it does to their bodies. Like that does not feel like a good vibration either. I think if, you know, like, I think that f- how we receive medicine is very important, and so I am not going to tell anybody how to receive the medicine that they choose to take. You know oh, that yeah. is.
1: I totally agree with that, and I have people that like. For instance, they went to let me give it. A per, let me give it a detailed example. Like someone went to go see their dying grandfather, and the family was requiring for them to get this, and they believed they got the. Um, The saline, like they believe that not everyone's even getting the actual vaccine because so the numbers don't get as um, obvious like or side effects. Like, yeah, anyways, that's what this person might, this avatar believes. Uh So there's like he believes or she believes there's a lot of saline solution ones just given out. And he thought that's what he got.
0: Well, great. I mean, whatever makes you feel good. I think that this is the thing that's so much more interesting to me is like not, it's like, so it's like if if someone has cancer, there are so many ways to deal with cancer. There's so many ways. I mean, you can go the Western route or you can drink ayahuasca with the shaman, or you can do acupuncture, or you can uh, experiment with sound healing and Reiki. There's so many ways that People can move towards their path of healing. And I think that Western medicine is a big part of that conversation for many, many people. And for other people, they're going to be more, like have more interest in plant medicine or more Eastern traditions or what have you. I just think that the most interesting thing is that we are interested in our own bodies and our own healing. And we are curious about that, you know? And that that is what to me should be the global conversation. I mean, the thing that I find, you know, the most kind of curious is that why isn't there more conversation on our immune systems and like how to strengthen our immune systems and preventative health and all of these so, other yeah, aspects. So what, yeah, what
1: do you think? Why is that? Because I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, it's, it's, someone might say it's a spiritual war. It's like God and the devil. Someone might say it's like these evil overlords. There might be aliens running the show. Why do you think this is the state of things Like where people can sign up to be so easily manipulated in a way that's not best for them?
0: Well, I think that one thing is that corporate interests are really invested in a lot of chemicals, right? And so there's a lot of chemicals that are in our food. There's a lot of chemicals that are in our products. There's a lot of chemicals that are in the air and in our plastics and that are off gassing. And so all of this exposure that we have to chemicals is going to be greatly influencing our immune systems. And for us to kind of get hip to that and be like, Ugh. you know, it's like there's this whole thing, Oh, BPA plastic. And now there's no BPA in this plastic. Well, great. But what other chemicals did you put in there? Like you took BPA out. What did you put in? So I think that there is this kind of concerted effort to not expose the toxins of which we are exposed to because that would be bad for business. And so I think immune system health has to do with like the very boring education one must embark on in like, what am I eating? What products am I putting on my body? Like what products am I using to clean my house? And there's actually some pretty cool apps that you can get on your phone where you can just scan the barcodes of things, and they tell and they give you information about whether or not this is a highly toxic product or not. Um, so I do think that there are these like efforts that are happening that are trying to make it a little more simple for people. But I do think it can be so overwhelming, and that some someone would say like, ah, oh, fuck it, like, I'm chemicals are everywhere. What can I do? I'm not going to give a shit. I'm fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, well, I mean, I like to offer the solution of just like only consuming things with like your skin and your mouth and maybe, I mean, if you want to take it as far as your eyes and ears, like that you understand that it's like a natural product, like a cucumber or a, a liver, yeah. a, a bison <laughs> or a trout, like that's a, quite understandable. And I think the more we can get towards and the honey. Like if you go to a bee farmer, you can understand where that comes from. So um, well, that's kind of like my dogma in a way. I, just, I aim to keep it as nat, like as less manipulated as possible. But but at the same time, you know, I, I live here by and where the creek comes out of the canyon on purpose. And Boulder, being this hip town that it is, is they I think they like banned a lot of pesticides. But like you mentioned, what about the rest of them? <laughs> And uh, but they put signs up like right now. My understanding is people are injecting trees near the like the river that I swim in that I live here to swim in. Um, they're injecting trees with a pesticide, and they're telling us they're doing it from like six six to six ten. What an interesting date to do it six six um, mm. to kill a like some sort of beetle that's killing an invasive species of trees that was planted here. Mm. And uh, that's happening, right? Like, you know, a hundred yards from me. I'm like, Hmm. Thanks for the disclaimer. And w- what? Yeah. What? Are y'all doing? Because they, they definitely don't give a disclaimer about all the stuff they're flying. We have a lot of that flight stuff where they change the clouds. They definitely the
0: chemtrails.
1: <laughs> whatever you want to call it. These planes flying grids, and then the weather changes, and it's mostly like a like a this like rainbowy, like this rainbowy nitrous cloud, and the ch- like that creates this cover over our town.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> bummer. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's very, yeah. I mean, there's like, I think that's a thing because, because we're like the right, the front range of the Rocky mountains and like, so Tesla, Nikola Tesla would have done his same experiments in this area. So yeah, uh-huh. you have like NASA and all these things, all these, and you have Microsoft, Amazon, Google, um, NCAR, um, these biotech companies, these vaccine companies, they're all doing a lot of research around here. And they're definitely, I don't know if they're connected, who's connected to what, but people are flying planes over here changing the weather for sure.
0: Yeah, geoengineering, it's definitely a thing.
1: But they didn't give me a disclaimer about that, but this place down the road, my park (laughs) that I love, they did give me the disclaimer they're injecting. I can tell you the. maybe one day I'll put a, maybe if I start getting more fancy, including like more Media with these podcasts, I can like reference this data as it's happening. But notice the pesticide application six six to six ten. The name of the product applied is imamectum benzoate. It's a oh. trunk, trunk injection for the uh, the target pest is the emerald ash borer. Oh yeah.
0: Oh. I mean, I guess the problem with that is what would be the unintended consequences?
1: Maybe the trees that they planted in a spe- in an environment that they don't belong would die.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the unintended consequences of this pesticide. Oh, oh yeah,
1: that that that's what can't can't I'm like. Anticipate. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. With, like would these, be, uh, would the things they're killing. Do birds eat peas or? How's it, yeah, hey, I know
0: <laughs> it's. It's interesting because I know that there is, you know, a lot of people that, um, you know, really believe that technology and science is going to solve the world's problems. And so new tech and new science as is seen as like the innovation that is crucial and necessary. And then I think there's a huge group of people that kind of think that like the wisdom of elders and nature is what would solve the world's problems and to kind of actually look backwards rather than always thinking that progress is this um, building upon, building upon, building upon scientific journey of synthetics, you know? So I think that is a lot of the conflict in the world right now, actually is that kind of like ideological divide
1: Well, it sounds like you have like a comedy background, and I don't probably. I don't. I've seen some comedians, but I definitely remember the skit from George Carlin with about like saving the planet and how um, arrogant that might be. And then I, I also think of the arrogance of this. I'm like, the even the. I, I appreciate the arrogance of notifying us
0: yeah I mean I think it's also it's like the planet is not ours to save it's humanity that we're trying to save
1: well i um i i it sounds like we could go down like so many rabbit trails that I trust won't have pesticides ejected into them
0: uh uh-huh. yes, for sure. <laughs>
1: And if they did, maybe they could tell us about them so we could avoid that part. But um, thank you. Like, thank you for doing what you're doing. I definitely encourage anyone that's listening to this to go watch some of these genius videos that you're seemingly pretty persistent about producing. So thank
0: you. Yes. I, if I'm anything, I am persistent for hundred percent. Sure. They, I hope they put that on my gravestone. Here lies Tony. Uh, she was persistent. <laughs>
1: And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing like what happens in the future from here and if we'll ever meet. Thank you.
0: Yeah. yeah I I'm not 100%
1: that. sure we haven't met. Uh, even I'm not I'm not even talking like ultra spiritual terms. I'm talking about literally like I may have met you somewhere. And You
0: may have. Yeah. yeah.
1: And if we haven't, I trust we will soon in person.
0: In person, IRL. What a what a notion.
1: IRL in real life.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then uh, uh you're I I would love to hear about your daughter. Do you have any other kids or is that your...
0: I'm a one, one, only child person. I like one child.
1: (laughs) What do you think about your daughter?
0: Oh, she's very groovy. She is um, truly empathetic, which I think is interesting for a child. But she also has a little bit of edge to her, which I appreciate. And she's got a darkness, the dark humor, a dark sense of humor that I'm so happy to cultivate. But you know what? She opens doors for people. And I'm like, that's a fucking badass person, man. Like opening doors for people. I just think it's the little things. Like she notices people and she opens doors for them. And I think that that's a sign of humanity.
1: (laughs) I have a feeling whoever listens to this, they're going to be opening more doors for other people.
0: Fuck yeah, open fucking doors for people. And then when someone does it for you, say thank you. The people who don't say thank you when I open the door for them, I'm always like, who hurt you?
1: Well, you know what I love about this? Because this, we're talking literally, but it's definitely, it can definitely be beyond literal. Opening, Yeah,
0: I hope so. You. No, no, opening door. It's a metaphor as well, of course. I like to express all points through the poetry of metaphor. <laughs>
1: Might even be a paradox. Paradoxically, well, you froze right when I asked you that, but you're back. You're back.
0: I, I was like, "Oh, is it a paradox?"
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that I I felt like we um uh, you know another other people that I've been appreciating lately y- y- beyond comedians are rappers. And like oh, uh, Kendrick, yeah. Lamar, Kendrick Lamar, like made this, like he put this There's somewhere in one of these new songs of his new album about how he's like the MC that makes you think. And I'm like, yeah, I, try, I think this conversation is going to make people think. And I'm happy about that. And I think well, in, rappers
0: like, are rappers are poets ultimately.
1: Yeah. And a whole new it's a whole new iteration. I love it. Yeah. I love all the new iterations of all the cool things that are happening right now. And thanks for yeah. And especially dance and communication. And you're a pro. You are definitely a pro in merging those two. Do I appreciate that. Is there anyone else that does this? Is like dance? I don't
0: I don't I think it's hard to say that you're the only person that does something on the internet, but <laughs> I I haven't seen anybody else. I mean, I've seen people like do an homage, you know, or like you know, like, oh, I saw this and now I'm going to do it. But I don't know. I mean, I can't claim to be the only person to do anything. But that you but know I, of.
1: That you, you,
0: but I was the only person I knew of when I started doing that. <laughs> That's all I can say. But I'm sure there's people who do this all the time. They're well, just not broadcasting it on fucking TikTok. <laughs> my
1: guess is that you're going to see more people that are doing it because they were inspired by you. That would be cool. Yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, I think that's coming. That's the future that I'm remem- remembering. So thank you for breaking normal. Keep doing it, and thanks thank for you. thanks for like uh, um, minding my, helping be flexible with my ridiculousness today as well. I had a breaking normal day.
0: Oh no, it's totally fine. <laughs> I was I I'm in the moment kind of gal. I don't mind.
1: Yeah, do you live in like in a, in a roof of sorts or an attic or something? How is this? What is this? Thing? I'm actually this like in a, a cabin. A-
0: I'm in a, a barn because this is where I was having the most quiet.
1: It's an awesome place. This, I mean, that doesn't look like a regular, that doesn't look like a normal barn.
0: No, it's, an, <laughs> it's a nice barn. Yeah.
1: Looks like an amazing barn. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Anything else? Are you good?
0: I'm good. Have a great evening.
1: I'm looking forward to seeing you more on uh TikTok or Instagram or wherever it
0: may be. <laughs> Goodbye, friend. Goodbye. Later. If the first
1: sign of shame is hiding, the first step out of shame is not hiding. Chapter 6. Feature Your Flaws Disclaimer, I've facilitated this exercise a handful of times in the mixed company of men and women. As my wife's and my relationship evolved, we currently feel complete with this particular exercise. We no longer practice this at our events either. With that said, given how much I believe in the liberating power of this exercise and the miraculous transformations I've seen through this process, I feel it is integral for me to include this section for you to decide how it may or may not fit into your healing. For a final Hearts Up, this process has the ability to catalyze immense amounts of suppressed emotions to surface in a heartbeat. If you feel a call to participate or facilitate, consider starting with a group of your same sex and or teaming up with professionals that understand the depth of what this can bring up. What better way to follow up this progression of bearing all than to actually get naked? This exercise might be a one-offer, something you do just once in your life and reap the benefits of for the rest of your days. Like the other exercises, the genius is in its simplicity. We get naked and look at each other's bodies, and after a while, we talk about them. I've seen the shyest, most timid, and insecure of people transform in under five minutes I've seen the light come back in their eyes I've seen women cry and shake and struggle to take off their clothes as though invisible shackles were preventing them from doing so only to jump around naked and ecstatic moments later from inside the matrix this probably sounds crazy or perverted it's a good thing then that we're not in the matrix but rather on the path of discovery to us crazy is a compliment because what commonly goes by normal is from another perspective pretty absurd. What is perverted about something we all share in common? We all have bodies, there's no way around it. So why should it be normal to feel shame about them or to think there's something wrong with them, meaning there's something wrong with us if they don't look a certain way? Why is it normal to put so much energy into neurotically hiding our bodies from other people dressing up in order to fit in. If we all have butts and we all go poop, why are we so compulsively private about it, sneaking away to do it out of sight and covering up our scent afterward? Why, if we all have penises and vaginas, does typing those words bring up some resistance in me, as I imagine reading those words brings up some resistance in you? So you're promoting nudism? We are not promoting nudism, nor are we condemning it. We are leveraging a taboo our culture has around the body in order to awaken the spirit that lives within it, or, in some cases, the spirit that is trapped within it. Some of us got so hung up in the past on our physical appearance and games of comparison that we wrecked our self-confidence and became alienated from ourselves. The sooner we get over all that, the sooner we get out of our own way if the first sign of shame is hiding the first step out of shame is not hiding for adam and eve that means removing the fig leaves and stepping out of the shadows for us it means taking our clothes off wiping away the mask and makeup and exposing the parts of our bodies we are most self-conscious about if you can't put your naked self out there how will you put your work or ideas out there How will you accept and promote yourself if you think yourself is something that needs to be hidden, covered up, or packaged appropriately according to the likes and dislikes of others? Rarely is anyone ready for this exercise. As soon as we announce it, people seem to get jittery. Now, we're we're going to do it right now, but... Yes, right now. No one is required to participate, but even the skeptics linger. A part of their mind is sounding the alarm, telling them to run and hide. Another part is curious and says, wait a minute. After all, how often do we have the opportunity to see a bunch of strangers naked in real life? How often do we see anyone naked in our day-to-day life, especially in a non-pornographic, non-sexual way? How often do we get naked in front of others? For a lot of us, the answer is never or at least not for a long time since the innocence of our early years. Maybe we catch a glimpse of our own nakedness for a hot second before and after our morning shower, but after that it's into a uniform based on our social function or some image we want to project. The uniform reinforces a function-based identity, or FBI. The naked exercise is effective because the mere mention of it, even before the clothes come off, produces a litany of feelings. Everything from flushed cheeks to queasy stomachs to chattering teeth. Some people begin to shake. Others, feeling the sudden urge to pee, sneak away, out of sight. Our palms sweat, our hearts pound. It's a scary step. Many people are insecure about their bodies, almost as if they're ashamed to have one. They worry that people will judge. They worry they are ugly, fat, flawed, pasty, pimply, dark, different, abnormal, and overall undesirable. As a man, having just got out of cold water, you might think your manhood will appear smaller than normal. As a woman, you might feel acutely self-conscious of your problem areas, and having internalized years of commercials and magazines, tell yourself they make you less beautiful. But either way, man or woman, it can be scary to reveal yourself in front of others. What will they think of you based on your human body suit? Will they judge you as ugly or unworthy? Will they reject you or make fun of you? To be naked in front of other people is to let them see you as you are, rather than who you pretend to be. A lot of us fear that who we are is too much or not enough. Those fears are not bad. They heighten the contrast, raise your awareness, and give the exercise more power. It's about observing those fears, feeling them, and going forward anyway. That's how you find freedom. Just like polar plunging, you can breathe deep and still get in the water, or in this case, naked. The first time I did it, the amount of adrenaline pumping through my body made me feel like I could flip a car. I felt cold and shaky, and yet, like everyone else, I tried to stand there nonchalant. What I noticed, though, was that the harder we all tried to act natural, the funnier and the more foolish we actually looked. There we were, butt naked among strangers we'd only recently met, averting our eyes from one another, but reluctantly interested but trying to act like we weren't. All we really wanted to do was check out everyone's body, especially their private parts, to see what they were like compared with ours. Within about five seconds of having our clothes off, we had made a map of these comparisons and ranked ourselves among them. It's interesting. As long as we had our clothes on, we could talk and laugh and interact with one another. We could do handstands and give hugs or high fives. As soon as the clothes came off, however, as soon as we got naked, suddenly we could barely look at one another. It felt somehow weird. For a full minute, it was quiet and what some might call awkward. No one spoke. No one made eye contact. We didn't look because, well, we couldn't see. Our vision was clouded with the pictures our minds projected, stories of our flaws and inadequacies. Literally, we couldn't get over ourselves. For me, those flaws start, started with my feet. They're flat. In the past, I thought they were ugly, and I was self-conscious about showing them to other people. They kind of look like hobbit feet, and I guess I thought they made me look unathletic or something. Next were my legs, which were always strong, but didn't look like what I associate with strength. They're skinny and bowed out. I used to think they made me look goofy. If I still do think that, I tell myself that goofy is a great thing. Above my legs, my butt. Like my feet, it's also a little flat. A part of me used to wish, and maybe still does, that my butt was bigger, more rounded and muscular, like the kind of butts I see on billboards. I was never really worried or self-conscious about my penis. My chest, though, that's an area where I used to compare myself to other people. My pecs are ripped and have great definition, but I used to think they were too rounded and maybe a little soft-looking. Sometimes, from the right or wrong angle, they looked like man boobs. These problem areas dominated my attention in those first couple minutes, and I think the same was true for the rest of the group. The urge to cover up and hide was strong, but paradoxically, the thing that kept us from doing so was exactly the thing we were there to get over, concern for what other people think of us. As excited as we were to be liberated from overcaring how others see us, we didn't want to be seen as weak or quitters. After a while, we seemed to grow out of it enough to at least look in the direction of others. We felt our curiosity rising. As it did, it ran into another layer of so-called awkwardness and discomfort. Sure, we could look in their general direction, but could we really observe and see them? The awkwardness, again, was the thing we were there to get over. We wanted to see, of course we wanted to see, but we didn't want other people to see we wanted to see we didn't want to appear to be too interested. Instead of honestly and unabashedly looking, then we stole quick glances before returning our gaze to eye level. It was this weird, restrictive energy that seemed to control us so long as it remained unsaid. Thankfully, my brother, who is great at sharing his vulnerability, called it out, named the elephant, meaning he said aloud the thing we were all thinking but not saying. We laughed because we knew it was true. Afterward, our curiosity rose even higher. We felt freer, more at ease, able to look around, reflect, appreciate one another. I'm imagining right now there are some readers whose minds immediately go to sex. Maybe because a part of my mind goes immediately to sex, and therefore think the exercise is inherently sexual, but that's not the case. If your mind jumps to sex, it might be because you're preoccupied with sex, which might mean you're in resistance to it, which isn't a bad thing, but it is something to notice and be aware of rather than jump unwittingly to projected conclusions. The less you're aware of it, as I'll say again and again, the more it exercises control over you. With that said, one guy got an erection, and having no pants to tuck it under, he sat there with it more or less on display. What could he do? Should he have felt shame about it? Should we? There's this impulse to immediately label and categorize and file it away. But checking that impulse allowed him and us the chance to sit there with our feelings and thoughts about it. Is there anything else more natural? How can we be sure that getting an erection is weirder than not getting one? Or that the weirdness isn't our own projection? So just like with the initial restrictive energy against looking... Rather than ignore the erection and let it become an unspoken elephant in the room, we called attention to it. We acknowledged what was happening, accepted it, and moved through it. We made fun of it. Not in a malicious way, but literally. We made it fun. Fun comfortable, that is. I noticed your erection, and I imagine... The point of the exercise, like the point of this book and life, is whatever you make it. For me, it was a mirror, and a mirror shows you what your mind wants to see, A part of my mind wanted to see sex, but another part wanted to see comparison and critique, the way I subconsciously critiqued myself. Still another part, which I tend to consider deeper than the previous two, saw similarities. I realized that looking at a group of naked people is almost the same as looking at a group of clothed people. From head to toe, there are differences and variations, but regardless, say of what color top a person is wearing, you still recognize it as a shirt. Similarly, no matter what shape someone is or what their butt looks like, you still recognize them as human. We all look a little different to tell each other apart. As many people as there are, there are that many different ears, belly buttons, genitals, knees, hips, and elbows. There is no standard of how we should all look, no cookie cutter that we should fit, and no justification, none whatsoever, for statements like, this person is more attractive than that person, At most, at the very most, you can say, this person is more attractive to me than that person. Or from my perspective, so-and-so looks closer to the image on the front cover of certain magazines than someone else. It's a way of comparing that doesn't force you to choose one over the other. To my mind, that's a truer interpretation of reality. It is appreciating difference, not ironing it out. Attraction is funny. Sometimes we're attracted to unexpected things, which exercises like this one make clear. You might find that the people you think you're going to be attracted to or who you tell yourself you should be attracted to aren't the same ones you feel attracted to once the clothes come off. Should and shouldn't, however, are concepts of the mind, whereas attraction, like inspiration, is a full-body function of the heart, body, mind, and soul. Like the spontaneous erections mentioned above, that attraction is the physiological equivalent of inspiration. And a lot of people have made a habit in the past of ignoring it because according to this type of dominating, self-fulfilling story they tell themselves, that inspiration came from somewhere it shouldn't have and is lower or worse or less than a rational, logical, or ultra-spiritual mindset. Think about it. Erections aren't deliberate. They don't necessarily happen because we consciously will them to. Arousal, for the most part, might be beyond our conscious control, and to feel shame about it reflects our deepest attitude towards ourselves. This is one of the unintended benefits of the exercise, to stop ignoring the things that speak to you. and accepting whatever it is that inspires or attracts or arouses you, you accept the parts of yourself, perhaps your deepest parts, that are inspired and attracted and aroused. Those are the parts you're afraid of, not your flaws and not your weaknesses. You're afraid of those parts because they lead to your hidden strengths, which take you to places you haven't even imagined yet, beyond the limits in your head. Instead of building inspiration around your so-called life, that is, what happens to fit in, build life around your inspiration and have the faith to go where it leads you. The second part of the exercise is standing front and center. More alarms go off, more feelings race through you. Good feelings, because remember, they're all good, so as long as you feel them. You observe the alarms, observe the feelings, and breathe through them. Play with them, make them fun. This is probably the most vulnerable moment of the exercise, and the rarest thing of all is for a person to volunteer to go first, and then walk up, turn around, stand perfectly still, and meet the audience's gaze. More likely, the urge to hide kicks into overdrive. Eventually, someone goes first. Someone has to go first. Since I've already shown you my body above, let's give someone else a chance. Let's say it's a woman. Let's say she's 5'6 and 140 pounds. Are you judging based on that information alone? You would think that standing naked front and center is as naked and exposed as someone can get. But then there's that outer armor, that shield of muscle and skin. This woman, you notice, is still trying to hide. Her shoulders are slumped. Her skin seems flexed. She's curled inward, taking very shallow breaths, barely filling her lungs. It's as if she's trying to appear small and inconsequential, or so you imagine. She crosses her arms, maybe to cover her belly or chest. Or maybe she talks a lot and exaggerates her hand gestures as a way of distracting our eyes. You notice that she's turned at an angle, not quite giving us a full frontal, as she's avoiding letting us see her thighs or hips. You notice that she moves side to side, making herself a moving target. Rather than meet our gaze, she looks down at her own body as though she's disassociating from it, trying to identify herself with us as examiners, as others. In other words, she's squirming, as if under a magnifying glass. She's visibly nervous, maybe on the verge of tears. Logically, she knows she's naked and that we can see everything, and that for her to stand at an angle only calls our attention to whatever it is she might be hiding. The question, then, is who is she hiding from? The answer, I believe, is herself, her inner critic, which more likely is an internalized critic, her mother a friend from school, a celebrity, a billboard, a magazine, etc. Somewhere along the way, many places along the way, she listened to a serpent that told her she was flawed and unattractive that convinced her that the value of who she was as a person, as a soul, could somehow be measured by the appearance of her body. We might say it's all in her head, but in reality, it's not that easy. Subconsciously, she's become identified with her body, and that low self-worth is both a refuge and a trap. A refuge because she figures that if she's not worth anything, she can therefore do nothing. So why try anything at all? Better to stay put and accept her lot. A trap because when you ask her to turn her hips and reveal what she wants to conceal, it's almost as if she can't, as if physically she can't perform the motion. There is nothing external restraining her, but the resistance has taken over on the inside and confines her with invisible shackles. For her to turn her hips requires such exertion, such force of will, such letting go, I've seen this happen, that her body shakes, even though from the outside there's nothing holding her back. It's not so much that she doesn't want us to see it. She knows we can see it. It's that she doesn't want to see us see it because as long as that's the case, she subconsciously has an out, which prevents her from having to identify and own it. Energetically, she shifts away from it. She doesn't want to go near her thighs, doesn't even want to acknowledge them. That whole area is physically and emotionally quarantined, off limits, making her a prisoner in her own skin. I think what's happening in this woman is that the self-defeating stories are breaking down. The internalized critic knows that once she turns her hips and sees the group doesn't flat-out reject her as a person, then that critic is dead in the water, and she can take back the other things it has claimed. Outward shaking is evidence of internal struggle. Our role as observers is to encourage her in that struggle. She will likely hide her face when she finally turns to face us, but eventually she'll look up and watch us for a reaction to see how we're taking it, how we're taking her. She's imagined our reaction many times already, and that imagination is based off reactions she's received in the past from parents, peers, or even herself. But really, she's the one doing it. She's the one doing the seeing and judging in the mirror of her own mind. In the past, she experienced something she imagined was judgment, and on some level, she judged that judgment to be correct and internalized it. Now, judgment is what she looks for. Her self-talk is ridicule. Shame and scorn are what she expects. I imagine she is surprised, then, when she looks up and meets our gaze. As she watches us watch her, as she sees us see her, she feels what we feel and sees what we see. It's not negative judgment, it's not a focus on her flaws. We're naked too and preoccupied by our own vulnerability. More importantly, we've realized that this part of the exercise is about us as much as it is about her. The healing in both places is simultaneous. In the audience, you realize that if you aren't struck by the beauty of her bravery, by the sheer display of emotions, the rawness of her, it might be an indication that you don't yet accept your own bravery, your own emotions and rawness and that you're still trying to hide and avoid yourself. You see that the more she tries to hide certain parts of herself, the more obvious those parts are that can catalyze you to think about the parts of yourself that you try to hide. In the past, you may have looked for the flaws in other people in order to give yourself the piece of writing them off. Curiously enough, that's exactly how you treated yourself. Looking in the mirror, you consciously or subconsciously criticized every little thing, tried to write yourself off so that you could continue to play it safe and small. But now you see, flaws don't discredit people, they endear people. You wouldn't throw someone away because they're different or imperfect. So why throw away yourself? Ultimately, in looking at her, you realize you're looking at yourself and that any judgments that come up about her are a reflection of the ones you hold within. What happens next is hard to describe. As we in the audience hold this space, all that restrictive energy dissipates. She slips into a strangely new, strangely familiar suit, her own body. Our presence, bearing witness, allows her to reclaim herself flaw by flaw, problem area by problem area. By exposing the things she wants to hide, she becomes less self-conscious about those things, and they cease to weigh down her psyche. Right before our eyes, she acknowledges and accepts the area she internally resisted and shut down. She slides past the invisible quarantine, taming, mastering the part of herself that in the past cared so much what other people thought of her that it convinced her to hide who she was. As she becomes more open and aligned, she visibly relaxes, Her body loosens up, and the tension she was holding goes slack. Her spine straightens, her breath deepens, and you might notice you feel more attracted to her than you did a moment ago. No surprise there, she stopped dimming her light. Our deepest self desires to be known because in the beginning it lived naked and unashamed. It knows that true freedom lives in vulnerability and it craves the boundlessness of not hiding. You are more than your body. The way to realize it is to reveal it, not to read about it, not to think about it, and not to say you should know better, but to do it.